This morning we uh, will be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. If you'd like to go ahead and start to find your way there, we're continuing our series, um, Who's Your One, where we uh, are identifying a person that we want to share the gospel with. Last week the challenge was that we would invite them uh, to a meal, that we would have a conversation with them, we'd invite them to church, and we would introduce them to Christ. If you remember last week as well, we, we, uh, or I had stated some things that we needed to recognize and repent of. One of those was our disbelief in hell. And, you know, people maybe refuse to believe in hell for various reasons. Um, I found it interesting that some people will believe in heaven, but they won't believe in hell. Furthermore, why do we think that if we break the laws of the land, we will end up in jail, but if we violate the laws of heaven, we won't end up in hell? Some would say that God is uh, completely a God of love, and he would never send anyone to hell. What happens is we end up becoming what's called a universalist, meaning that everyone goes to heaven. We, we might say, well, sure, there, there is a hell, but there is no one in hell because God is so loving, everyone's in heaven. However, Jesus made it clear that hell is real and that people are there and everyone goes to one of two places, either heaven or hell. The time for choosing where we will go is now. And the way in which we choose is either trusting in Christ as our Savior or not. It's been said that if you want to create an awkward conversation quickly, there are a few surefire topics that you can bring up in order to do so. Politics, for example, will for sure make things awkward quickly, mainly because people have varying views of politics. The same goes with religion. This is especially true when someone suggests that there is only one way to God, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ, and all that do not have faith in Jesus will spend eternity in hell. For some reason, many folks do not want to have this conversation, especially when you make it clear that there is one way to heaven and that those who do not go that way end up in a vile, evil place. The conversation often is over at that point. Well, today, what we want to do is we want to see what the Bible says. What does God's word say concerning hell? Is this a real place? What does scripture tell us? What, how do we find out about it? Is it, is it uh, you know, is, is our imaginations true in when it, when it comes out of what hell is like and so in order to do that we're going to look at the gospel of luke chapter 16 beginning with verse 19 i would ask that you stand out of respect for god's word this morning luke 16 i'll be reading verses 19 through 31 from the english standard version there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, 
covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and said, uh, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest also they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let's pray. Father, your word speaks, your servants listen. May we hear your word this morning. May we heed your word this morning. May it be applied to our lives as we go through our week. And may the reality of hell pierce our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me give you a little historical background before we get into the message we've all heard of the saying we have the haves and the have-nots well this story is a case of one who was a have and the other who was a have-not like most americans the first man was wealthy america by the rest of the world standard is wealthy now before we move on there's nothing wrong with wealth there are some wealthy people who know how to glorify god with what they have however this man was self-indulgent to the extreme. The guy goes around clothed in purple and fine linen. He had, uh, he had that underwear probably imported from Egypt, you know. We've all seen the MyPillow guy, right? You've seen that on TV. He talks about the Giza dream sheets. Well, this guy probably had the Giza underwear. You know, the special underwear. He had the finest foods. He was... He would, he would uh, gluttonously feast on the foods. If there ever was a lover of money, this was the guy. Just like the Pharisees. This guy was not just rich. He gratified his worldly pleasure, making him what we call filthy rich. There's this huge contrast of this rich man. He had... If, if he had everything going for him, then the poor, hat, poor man, Lazarus, had everything going against him. He was sick. He had pain from the sores all over his body. He was disabled. And the only way for him to get around was for someone else to carry him to where he wanted to be. 
He was hungry. In fact, he was so hungry that he longed for leftovers from someone else's table. He could not help himself. He could only beg that someone else would give him what he needed. However, the only comfort that he received was from these dogs that would come and satisfy their hunger by licking this man's sores. Now this man named Lazarus. Not the same Lazarus that was the brother of Mary and Martha, but a different Lazarus. Interestingly enough, the name Lazarus means God has helped. So here is this poor soul. And you tell me from his outward circumstances, how has God helped? Where was God in his poverty and illness and disability? What great faith Lazarus must have had. What we know is that the one man in the whole world who was in a position to help Lazarus refused to do so as Lazarus lay at his doorstep. And this was no ordinary doorstep. The Greek word used here is for an ornamental gate usually found at the entrance to a palace. You get the picture. This rich man had more than enough to provide for Lazarus, but he refused to do so. Now, this man was so selfish that daily he would pass by Lazarus and he would see him in his helpless state and he would do nothing. Every day he could have fed him. He could have clothed him. He could have healed him. Not one time did he ever invite Lazarus in for dinner. Not once did he tell his servants to take some leftovers out to him. Not one time did he help Lazarus. Or to put it another way, not one time did he use his earthly wealth to make an eternal friend the, the way Jesus said that we should do in Luke 16, 9. He had a greedy, money-loving heart. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? 1 John three seventeen. This is an excellent test for our own godliness, is it not? Do we use what we have only for ourselves? Or do we use it for people who are in greater need than we are? Do we feed the hungry? Do we clothe the naked? Do we heal the sick? Do we help people that are right on our doorstep? Whatever their needs may be. And before I get into the passage, let me share this. Richard Baxter was a Puritan pastor who lived his life from the perspective of both heaven and hell. He directed his church members on how to spend the day with God. This way he said, let God have your first awaking thoughts. Lift up your hearts to him reverently and thankfully for the rest enjoyed the night before. Cast yourself upon him for the day which follows. Familiarize yourself so consistently to this that your conscience may check you when common thoughts shall first intrude. Think of the mercy of a night's rest and, how, and of how many that have spent that night in hell. How many in prison? How many in cold, hard lodgings? How many suffering from agonizing pains and sicknesses, weary of their beds and of their lives? Think of how many souls were that night called from their bodies terrifyingly to appear before God and think how quickly days and nights are rolling on. 
How speedily your last night and day will come. Observe that which is lacking in the preparedness of your soul for such a time and seek it without delay. I do not want to go soft on hell in this sermon. My goal is to paint a picture that we would understand what hell truly is. And so first, let's see that hell is eternal. Hell lasts forever. And forever is a long time to be wrong. I've had people say, I hope I am saved or I'm counting on being saved or I think I am saved. And listen to me, church, when it comes to eternity, I believe that I would rather be certain than to think I'm saved. In fact, when I'm sharing the gospel and someone says, I think I'm saved, I ask them if there was a way that you could be certain, would you want to know it? Because the Bible tells us in 1 John 5, verse 13, these things have I written to you that, that you believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It does not say that you may assume or think you have eternal life, but that you may know that you have eternal life. We all have eternal life. Every single one of us has eternal life. The question is, will your eternal life be spent in heaven or in hell? Listen, I know I have eternal life. And I know that I've trusted in Jesus as my Savior. And I'll have eternal life in heaven with Him forever. I know that God has changed me. His words say any man in Christ is a new creation. I'm not all that I ought to be. You can ask my wife. I'm sure she'll tell you. But I know by God's grace that I am not what I used to be either. Jesus Christ made a difference in my life. And I am so thankful because hell is eternal. And everyone here in this room this morning, everyone who has ever walked the face of this earth will spend eternity somewhere. And so what this means is that anyone who has ever lived is actually still alive. Not only is hell eternal, but hell is a place of torment. Right? Speaking of the rich man, it says being in Hades in torment. On one occasion, Jesus himself said hell was a place where the worm does not die. Jesus said there will be gnashing of teeth. Now let me tell you, I've often been accused of being a hellfire and brimstone preacher. People say, oh, he's hellfire and brimstone. In fact, one of the first uh, positions I interviewed for to be a student pastor, I uh, happened to end up for some reason being the secretary for the board of elders which means sometimes I had to go back and look over notes well they would keep the notes and I was looking over the notes from when they hired me to be their student pastor and one of the comments was this guy is a hellfire and brimstone preacher okay I'm in good company because so was Jesus So was Jesus. Jesus spoke about hell. He preached on hell long before I was even a thought in my mother's womb. The rich man remains fully conscious of his suffering and torment. 
Hell is not a dream. Hell is not a place without feeling. The Bible does not present the afterlife as sleep or as annihilation without suffering. It's a place of intense suffering because God has removed even that common grace that we have so richly enjoyed in this life. Even if we're not Christians, we still enjoy the common grace of God. It's by the hand of God that you're even able to take your next breath. It's by the hand of God that you're even able to come into this church this morning. His common grace, that is all removed in hell. In fact, God is only pouring out His wrath in hell. Being utterly removed from grace leaves only misery and sorrow. We can't even imagine it, how horrible the suffering is to be removed from God's love and God's mercy. Thirdly, hell is a place of fear. The truth of, truth of Scripture is designed to be a warning to us. The rich man, he's in anguish and now he wants to see his five brothers saved from a terrible place. Some people have said of a preacher that that preacher scared the hell out of me. That's good. That's the point. You should be scared of hell. Hell should bring fear to us. You know, I hear people act like hell is a place where they'll go and party or a place where they get to hang out with their friends and they have no fear of hell. And my thought is it's because how often we have stopped preaching on hell. We don't talk about it. We don't mention it. We don't say this is what the Bible says about it. So everybody thinks it's like this dude running around in a little red suit and pitchfork and horns. And it's all fun and games. And it's a great time in hell. What a lie. Jesus said more about hell than he did heaven. And so rarely does anyone hear what hell is really like. And we need to remember that hell is a place of fear. We need not to be afraid to talk about hell because it should serve to give caution to those that are heading there. If you are here today and you've never trusted in Christ, hell is a place where you are heading. And it's forever. Meaning you will be there forever. Forever living in fear. So I would plead with you this morning, flee from hell. Fourthly, hell is a place of sadness. You know, I was watching the news this past week after Hurricane Dorian hit the Bahamas. And they were talking to one person and they asked him, they said, describe the people. And he said, they have no hope. And I thought about that for a minute. And I thought, that statement's not really true. Because as long as you're on this earth and have not entered the afterlife, there's some sort of hope. The epitome of real sadness is to have no hope. And listen, that's hell. There is no hope. When you're in hell, there's no hope. Those in hell will know real sadness. This man was tormented to the point that he wanted Lazarus to simply dip his finger in water and cool his tongue. He was 
tormented to the point that he did not want his brothers to end up where he was. He's tormented to the point because he's lost all hope. He is truly sad. Jesus even described hell as such when he said there is wailing. In Dante's Divine Comedy, he describes a journey of an author who went through hell on his way to heaven in a section called, the, uh, called Inferno. He described the sign above the portals of hell. Abandon hope, all who enter here. Oh, we must understand that there is no hope for anyone in hell. There are people that have abandoned the Christian faith because they can't handle the reality of hell. In fact, some churches do what's called baptism, baptism by proxy, which means they get baptized in the name of a person that has already died in hopes that they will come, that that person will come out of hell and be able to enter heaven. That's how much trouble we have dealing with hell. That's practice is a farce. That's nowhere in scripture, by the way. But hell is a sad, sad place. Fifthly, hell is is a place of isolation. I want you to notice something significant. The rich man does not want his loved ones to join him in hell. Do you understand that? What happens on earth is people, people think about their loved ones who perhaps have never trusted in Christ. They've never put their faith in, their, in the Savior. They think about their friends who never trusted in Christ as their Savior. They think, well, they're going to hell. I might as well go to hell with them. We, we even see this in the movies, right? They'll say, what do they say? I will see you in hell. We act as if there's going to be some kind of meet and greet in hell. And we're going to see our buddy down there. Oh, hey, Ralph. I use Ralph because I don't think anybody here is named Ralph. But if that's you, I apologize. Right? But that's what we think. Oh, hey, how you doing? That if our friends and loved ones are there, we'll be able to hang out with them and we're going to live it up. One problem. There is no record anywhere in Scripture of there being any kind of fellowship in hell amongst lost people. None. Listen, you may have had a loved one that has died apart from Christ and it may trouble your soul and there may be pain in your heart and life. However, your loved one would not have their departure keep you from heaven. They would have you confess your sins to God and turn from your sins and trust in Christ as your Savior. They would not want you in hell with them. We see this from the rich man. He's not looking for his buddies to hang out with. He's not saying, oh, I can't wait till my brothers show up. We're going to have a good time then. He's pleading someone, please go tell my family. The last thing you want to see in hell is anybody else. Not only is hell a place of isolation, but hell is a place of separation. Some of you woke up this morning and you did not bother to stop and think that you were thankful that you had another day. That you could get out of bed. That you could come to church. That you could have an opportunity to worship with other believers. And see other people and spend time with them. 
Do you ever stop and think just how connected we are as people? I mean, we do have all this social media stuff. We have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and text messaging and this, that, and the other and all this stuff. But we're connected people. We can, we can talk to pretty much anybody at any time whenever we want. And they can be halfway across. They can even be in a third world country and contact us. I know because I get messages from people in Haiti. And, hey, pastor, they always call me pastor, even though I'm not their pastor. Hey, pastor, how are you today? And they'll ask me questions. You don't have that in hell. You'll never hear good morning in hell. You will never hear good night in hell. You will never hear I love you. You will never hear it's nice to see you. You will never feel the precious touch of a loved one in hell. You will never get the hug from your mom or your dad or from your spouse. You will never see that look in your child's eyes of love in hell. Why? Because they are in hell. Hell is a place of separation. Hell was not worth all the wealth and the comfort and the ease and the friends and everything else that this rich man had on this earth. Now listen, it says, there is a great chasm fixed. Once you are in hell, you are there to stay. No one can pass from hell to heaven or from heaven to hell. You are there separated and alone. It's desolate. It's weak. You are cut off from everyone and everything that you have ever loved. It's no wonder that when someone gets mad at somebody, they tell them, you go to hell. Because you can't think of a place that is more horrible for someone to go than for them to go to hell. I mean, why, why don't we say to them, oh, just go to heaven? Or I just wish you would go to Starbucks. Or go to Krispy Kreme. We don't say that, right? We tell them, go to hell. The truth is, we shouldn't want anyone to go there. I've given my entire life to preaching the gospel. I want to stand in the gap for every man and woman and boy and girl. I don't want to see anyone to go, go to hell. Why in the world would anyone ever choose to go to hell? Why? I can't fathom it. The only thing I can think of is that they don't understand it. They don't realize that is where they're going. Listen to me, church. Hell has no exit. By the time an unbeliever gets there, it will be too late to be saved. Too late to hear the gospel. Too late to trust in Christ. Too late to beg for mercy. And too late to avoid the everlasting agony of eternity without the grace of God. What does that mean? That means we give them the good news now about Jesus. Now, while they still have time to receive it, if you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, then know He's the only bridge from wrath to righteousness. It is only by faith in Him that we will ever find forgiveness of our sins or the joy of God or the hope of eternal life. Put your faith in Jesus now while you still have time or else very soon you will find yourself in a place where no one can come and rescue you at all. Now to wrap this message up, I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to share with you seven things, seven things that are good in hell. Seven good things. One, 
Good people are in hell. Good people are in hell. Believe it or not, there's good things in hell. There's good people in hell. Sometimes people say of others, there is no way that that person's going to hell. They are such a good person. Good people go to hell. Morally speaking, don't tell me that you don't know people who are good people, but they aren't Christians. We all know people like that. There are plenty of moral people that have never trusted in Christ. We see it all the time. I know people who are not Christians that live better than those who claim that they are Christians. So let's be clear. There are people that are morally good. It's just that they are morally good for the wrong reason. They are good because it's what they want to do. They do it to please themselves and not to please God. The Bible tells us that compared to Jesus and the glory of God, that no one is good. However, according to human standards of goodness, well, that's a different story. Now think about this rich man for a moment. Do you think people thought he was good? Absolutely. Especially during this time. You know why? Because they looked at him with he had material blessing. And if you were blessed like this man, it meant that God had blessed you. Surely, this was a good person. Jesus here is speaking to the Pharisees. If we look back at verse 14, he says this. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. The lover of money in this story goes to hell. Do you think people thought the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the day were good people? Yes. By the world's standard, everyone would have thought that this rich man was a good person. Listen to me carefully. If you think that because you are a good person by the world's standards that you're not going to hell, let me be clear. You can go to hell as a good person. Hell is full of good people. Hell is full of people that were kind, courteous, nice. Hell is full of people that gave money away, that even helped other people. Being good is not what gets you to heaven. Secondly, there's good vision in hell. They're not just good people in hell, but there's good vision. It says that he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off. Obviously, these things are not all good, even though they, they're good. In other words, everything that is good is not necessarily good in its essence. His vision in hell became so clear that he realized that all of his wealth and everything he had was absolutely meaningless. He was missing something. The man that owned so much missed out on what was most important. And if you're not saved this morning, I pray that you would see hell so clearly that you realize that when you get there, everything that you enjoyed in this life that you thought had some sort of meaning is absolutely and utterly meaningless. The man is in hell and he's able to see heaven. Obviously, God allows for him to see what he's missing. There's good vision in hell. Thirdly, there are good prayers in hell. This man prayed for mercy. This man could see what he's missing. He realized that he needed most in his life was mercy, but it's too late. 
Look at what it says. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip his finger into water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame. This is a prayer pleading for mercy. I prayed that prayer asking God for mercy and God gave me mercy. I know Jesus as my Savior. Some people might say, do you really think that hell has flames in it? I would say, yeah. Because Jesus says so. Notice also, fourthly, that there's good, mem- good memories in hell. I don't know about you, but there's times I have things I wish I could forget. But look what it says. Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. There's just something about memory and remembering things. In hell, you will have consciousness. You will have a memory. You will be aware. What will you remember? Well, look at what it says. You will remember all the good that you received on earth. You will remember the missed opportunities. He could have helped Lazarus. You remember your sins. For him, it was the sin of indulgence and pleasure and extravagance. All the times you turned a deaf ear to your conscience. All the times you didn't listen to God. All the times you heard God's word but failed to apply them to to your life. All the times you had the sick and the poor and the needy around you. You will remember your failure to seek the truth and your rejection of warning after warning after warning after warning. Perhaps someone even in this service will live to be 85 or so and you will go to hell. And in hell one day, you will be able to remember this sermon. That you sat in right now. I hope it's not true, but it certainly could be true. In hell, your memories are flooded. And and can you imagine in hell crying out and remembering all the times that you rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ? And all the times you did your own thing. But it will be too late. You know what else is in hell? Good theology. Good theology is in hell. There are no atheists in hell. This man realizes God exists. People will say this today. I don't believe there is a God. One day they will believe. Everyone in hell believes in the Bible. Today we hear things like this. Well, the Bible is just written by a bunch of men. But everyone in hell knows That Jesus is the only way to heaven. Listen to God's word in Philippians chapter 2. So at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may remember the story. Demons are in the pigs, and, or demons are in the man that they call legion, and they come to Jesus, and what do they say? What would you do to us, Lord? The demons know. There's good theology in hell. In hell, you don't get away with anything. You know, sometimes it seems like the only time people believe in hell is when they know someone deserves to go to hell. 
We'll say things like, there's a special place in hell reserved for that guy. In fact, I doubt anyone that's watched the news in the last few weeks looked at the suicide of Jeffrey Epstein and said, oh, I bet he went to heaven. No, instead people say, there's a special place in hell for him. Hell makes sense to us as long as we think it's for those who are worse than us. Sixthly, there are good priorities in hell. Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so he may warn them, lest also they should come to this place of torment. They believe in evangelism in hell. The rich man is asking for someone to go back and warn his Warn his house, someone to go and knock on the door and say, I'm warning you, don't go to hell. People in hell are wanting someone to go and tell their family about Jesus. The sad thing is, it seems the population of hell is more concerned for the lost than the church is concerned about people that are actually going to hell. This man in hell had five people on his prayer list. How many people do you know that are on their way to hell that you've prayed for in the last five years? Listen, church, we're to be sharing the gospel with others so that they don't end up in this place. Notice what it says. Warn them, oh, that we would warn people of the coming judgment, that we would warn others that hell is a very real place, but so is heaven. And Jesus paid the price for our sin. Let me share with you one last thing, and I'll wrap all this up. Seven, good intentions are in hell. You know, I've often wondered what good intentions are good for. I've come to the conclusion that good intentions are good for nothing. Now, you might be wondering what I mean by good intentions. Listen, someone can reject Christ through straightforward rebellion. And to be honest, I don't see a whole lot of that when when I talk with people. They do exist, but in all of the times as a Christian... And all the times I've shared the gospel with other people, people do not usually say, I don't care if I'm going to hell. I don't want to hear the gospel. That's pretty rare for someone to say that to me. It's rare to find people that are so hard they just refuse to listen or hear. In fact, most people that reject the gospel do so, by, do so not by active rejection. What I mean by that is most people refuse Christ through apathy through indifference, through procrastination, and through ignorance. And so they'll things, say things like this. Maybe one day I'll study it more and get saved. Right? Or they would just say, I don't, I don't want to take the time right now. I have plenty of time. They, they act like you're a telemarketer. Right? Isn't that what you do to telemarketers when they call you? If, if you actually get in a conversation... Well, you try to get them off the phone and you'll think, well, you know, what's the website? I'll go check that out. You have no intention on checking it out. You're just trying to get them off the phone. That's the way most people reject Christ. Eh, maybe one day. Hell is full of people that never intended to go there. Yet they chose to be there. They had good intentions. And some have said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Some might say, well, how do I avoid going to hell? First, you need to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Our sins send us to hell because they're never dealt with. 
And so deal with your sin. God sent his son Jesus to be the perfect payment for our sin. You see, back in the Old Testament, we have all of this, this bloody sacrifices to deal with sin. On the Day of Atonement, they would bring in that perfect lamb to the Holy of Holies, and they would sacrifice that lamb to cover their sin. But it never got rid of sin. It only covered it. In fact, in the Old Testament, Abraham was told to take his one and only son of promise, who was Isaac, and sacrifice him. There's significance in this. And, and Abraham leads Isaac up the mountain, and right before he sacrifices his one and only son of promise, an angel stops him, and, and there was a goat caught in a thicket. Now picture this. All of these years pass from the time that Abraham is getting ready to sacrifice his one and only son of promise. And then God takes the knife from the hand of Abraham and he sacrifices his one and only son on the cross. He pours out his wrath on his one and only son for the sins of humanity. But that sacrifice doesn't just simply cover up our sin. It completely removes it. For all who trust in Christ. Jesus was the perfect spotless lamb of God. To take away the sin of the world. And he alone forgives sin. You must ask for this forgiveness while you're alive. Because after you're dead. It's too late. Listen don't think. That you're going to wait. Certainly don't think that you're going to be able to throw up a quick prayer right before you die and it will all be good because you don't control when or how you die. You could get dementia and never be in the right mind again. Never clearly hear and understand the gospel again. And so while you are in the right frame of mind this morning, while you have an opportunity, you should repent and give your life to Christ. And we do that out of love. Because God has made a way for us to come to salvation. Now some will say, okay, I will just say a special prayer that, that everyone always says, and then I'll escape hell. No, my dear friend, if that's what you think, then you're still headed for hell. Because Jesus is not your escape plan. He is the Savior. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is the creator of the universe. He made you, and if you come to Christ, He sought you and He bought you, which means He owns you. That, that, that is who He is. And I would say to you, if the gospel applies to you, then you better respond while it still does. Some of you, perhaps, God is drawing today, and you need to look at your spouse and say, hey, I need you to go with me. Some of you children need to look at your parents and say, I need you to go with me. Some of you today need to come to Jesus. One last thing and then I'm done. Hell is a state of association. Jesus says the eternal fire of hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. Not for us. People were made for God. Hell was made for the devil. Yet people who die in their sin without Jesus as Lord and Savior will spend eternity in hell with the one that is most unlike God. It is irony that those who do not believe in the devil will end up spending eternity tormented by him.
in hell. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, Jesus Christ said. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Lord, we know not the way. And how can we know? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one can come to God the Father but through God the Son. You can either spend eternity in a place that was not made for you or you can spend eternity in a place that was made for you and it all depends on what you do with Jesus will you repent will you trust in Christ as your savior you say pastor I already know Christ I already know about Christ then I ask who's your one who are you sharing him with who are you sharing the reality of hell with do you really believe that hell is true that it's a real place do you really believe it do you believe what god's word says concerning hell you see, I'm convinced that most Christians do not believe in hell. Because if we did, how in the world can we live with ourselves? How? Never sharing the truth that we have to keep people from going there. How could we sleep at night? Knowing our own children are going to hell. Knowing our friends are going to hell. Knowing our relatives are going to an eternal hell. Well, they will be punished forever. How do we sleep if we don't share the gospel with them? We should be so motivated that we don't ever want to see anyone ever in hell. And so I'd say to you today, if you say, Pastor, I'm a Christian. Prove it. Prove it. We like to say we're Christian a lot. And yet reject the reality of Scripture. Will you bow with me for prayer?